We Podcast and We Know Things is supported by CastBox, the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on iOS and Android. CastBox has over 50 million free episodes that more than 16 million users download and listen to wherever, whenever. CastBox has also pioneered a brand new way to search. All you have to do is enter a keyword or phrase and CastBox will search all show titles and transcripts of every single episode to deliver exactly what you're looking for. So head on over to your app store, download CastBox and try it for yourself today. Hey there, this is Nigel Bach, creator of the Bad Ben Trilogy, and you're listening to We Podcast and We Know Things. It's more than an intelligent mind can comprehend. Hello, this is Grant Kirkup. I'm famous for saying Ubinaka and Ikobokum. And you're listening to We Podcast and We Know Things. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of We Podcast and We Know Things. My name is Greg Hall, and alongside of me, as almost always, the best damn voice in the business, Sam Matura. Danger, danger, danger. We are joined this week on this very special bonus episode by a stand-up comic, voiceover artist, actor, and the guy who we believe is one of the funniest people in the world, John DeCrosta. John, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. In the world? In the world. Wow. That's a pressure. We're putting you on a pedestal right off the bat. I'll take it. Cool. I'll try and live up to your expectations. <laughs> well, if you agree with us, listeners, you can find all of John's social media in the episode description on iTunes, Castbox, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you're listening to this show, and also a link to Multiple Character Disorder, which is John's uh, album out on iTunes, his stand-up comedy album. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but first and foremost, the first time I ever saw you was August of yeah. two- was August of two thousand four. At the Casbah Comedy Club in Wildwood, New Jersey. Oh my gosh! Oh wow! I, that's going back. That's going I way back. I love the Casbah Comedy Club, and it's no longer with us. They closed it down in twenty. No, I think it's a restaurant of some sort now. An Italian restaurant, yeah, like Pella Pasta or something along those lines. Yeah, I remember that gig. I did that gig for. Oh gosh, it must have been. Uh, 10 years, maybe 12, 13 years in a row. I did every summer. Some summers I did two and three times. Usually about twice a summer I do that club. Yeah, we... In fact, I remember the first year I was there, I think it was 1993. And I'll tell you why. I was I was working with two guys I really didn't have much in common with. So I would go down to the Boardwalk Mall and watch Wyland uh, paint the humpback whales on the side of the uh, arcade wall, and uh, I think it was 1993. So that's what a loser I am. I stood and watched this guy paint humpback whales on a building for seven days straight. But I know the whales you're talking about, which is sad. <laughs> yeah, it's right on the Boardwalk Mall. It's They're right still there. The, it's like three blocks from the Casbah Comedy. Yeah, I've seen you there multiple times. Um, I've actually, I wasn't old enough to have a drink with you, but I did hang out with you a bunch of times afterwards in the bar area. Uh, in the summer of 05, the second year that I saw you, I brought eight friends with me, including Sam. So he was with you there. And I, I just really missed that place. I don't think Wildwood is the same without it. It's funny. I, I, uh, those must have been, um, those must have been appearances that I made, uh, uh, after I moved to L.A., because I moved out here the summer of 2000, 
And I didn't come out there many times after I moved here, but I did uh, do three or four more times uh, after I moved out to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like, yeah, that was the, like towards the end years of the club. Yep, I saw you there. So, in, so oh. you must have... You must have been there, like in the Art Deco type of uh, years. <laughs> in the, in like with the he, neon, he 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 regutted it and and kind of decorated it in an Art Deco scene. Yeah, Don Vito, Mark the Don Vito. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember some guy came out, out dressed as Hugh Hefner. Is that who it is? Yeah, we're talking about the guy okay, who wore okay, the robe. Okay. Yeah, okay. he wore a robe yeah. out on set and did the exact same uh, bit every night, twice a yeah. night. Hey, he look, he look, I'm, I'm Italian. He looked at me. He's like, man, this guy's so Italian. He's grabbing that guy's balls. I was like, ah, oh, come on. <laughs> that is absolutely yeah, from that bit. Done. Yeah, that, he was really, really good. And and you headlined actually every time. Every time I saw you there, you headlined. It was oh four oh five oh six. Then I saw you at the Borgata, like five or six years ago, I think, at the comedy club inside the Borgata. That was the last time I seen. Mm-hmm. You. That was the last time I, I had a chance to see your your act. Did we speak that night when you were in Atlantic City? You Facebook messaged me and actually asked me to meet up with you afterwards, and we did. We hung out. There's pictures. Okay. There's photographic okay. evidence. What a nice guy. All right. Yeah, there is. Send me that picture, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Will do, as a matter of fact. I'll send it to you right after this this episode is over. I appreciate it. It's. I think it's on All my right. our face. I know we're Facebook friends. I think it's on Facebook somewhere, uh, but it's in my camera okay. roll, so I'll send it to you right after this. But again, just thank you for like all the years of laughter i was 16 in 2004 when i first saw you i took it was my mom my dad my girlfriend at the time and myself and we, the four of us walked out of there crying i you you um signed character witness 2 for me we listened to it again on the way home cried on the way home back to our shore house r.i.p the shore house too but we quoted that for the rest of the <laughs> summer it was so good oh that's funny oh man um but to, to kind of go a little bit forward, John, not all heroes wear capes. It is time for your origin story on the show because uh, you're a hero of ours. You lived in L.A. for over a decade now. Let's talk about how that kind of came to be. When did you begin to have an interest in acting and comedy? I believe you're also a ventriloquist. Well, that's how it all started. I mean, I started um, getting laughs as a, as a kid. I remember making just, you know, where it usually starts, your own family crack up at you know, impressions of an uncle or a cousin or, or whatever. Um, I can remember the first laugh I got, like, the first laugh I got intentionally was I was born in Italy, and I moved here. Uh, my first grade in the United States was the fourth grade. And um, I remember, I remember in fourth grade, I was looking, uh, it was, we were having a Halloween parade and I grew up, uh, in those years, it was Syracuse, New York. And, um, I remember we were having a Halloween parade and I didn't know what the hell, cause we didn't really celebrate Halloween in, in, in Italy. So this was my first Halloween, I guess. And, um, I remember my parents, they didn't want to go out and buy those shitty plastic masks with the, the elastic band uh, that goes around the back. And if it snaps, you like lose an eye. So <laughs> I think what they did is they, they gave me my dad's sport coat and I bought like one of those fake glasses with the nose and the mustache and a fake cigar. 
And uh, so the sport coat was my dad. So it was like 10 sizes too big. And I had this old tie. And I, and they just, I think they were just thinking that I was going to be like a hobo or some <laughs> sort of homeless dude. I don't know what kind of frightening costume that was supposed to be, but that's what I went to. And then my teacher, I'll never forget, told me to walk, crouch over like an old man and kind of shake my cigar as I'm walking. And everybody, all the parents and teachers started calling me Groucho. Groucho Marx. Okay. Yeah. And, and I didn't know Groucho from a hole in the ground. I'm like, <laughs> what, what the hell is a Groucho? And, um, so I remember doing it on purpose in that position for the entire day and it was so painful because my back and my legs were so painful, bent in that position for like seven hours, but I did it for the laugh. I remember that wow. it was the best feeling I ever had in my life was, was just making people laugh on purpose by something stupid I was doing. Now that's dedication right there. Yeah, man. And, and I did it forever. And then, uh, it kind of, you know, it, it, that kind of was the, the birth of it. And then when I got into junior high, I started ventriloquism. I started a, I, there was a kid that was in one grade ahead of me. And I remember I went to a talent show and he was a ventriloquist and I was mesmerized. Was it Jeff Dunham? Literally, I was addicted. I could not get enough of this, this art form. So, I asked for one for Christmas. I got one with a little instruction booklet. I practiced my ass off, and he gave me some tips. The following year, we were both in the talent show competing against each other. He had been doing it for five or six years. I had been doing it for months. And I won uh, first prize in the, ta- in wow. the talent wow. show. Wow, that's awesome. And, yeah, and shortly after that, I started doing kids' parties, man, and just snowballed from there. Now, would you consider that your first stand-up as the ventriloquist show, or did you have, like, you remember your first stand-up show? I'll tell you, my first stand-up was I was a senior in high school, and um, I had already been doing parties, like banquets and and church things and, and birthday parties and stuff like that, as a ventriloquist. And when I was a senior in high school, I worked at Spencer Gifts at the mall. And my manager, Rob, uh, and uh, he, he put together, at that time, a show called The Gong Show was very, very popular. And we had a Christmas party at Spencer Gifts. And Rob said, he said, everybody, all the employees had to put together a five-minute act. He didn't care what you did. He didn't care what you you could sing, you could juggle, you could do magic, you could do whatever. He didn't care, but just as a fun thing to do, we all had to put t- together a five-minute act. So what I did was I uh, used my already existing ventriloquist act, which I had adult versions and kid versions, and I physically sat down and wrote a 20-minute stand-up act <laughs> On Spencer Gifts. <laughs> of all places. In, and he knew he needed five minutes. Yeah. You know, the kids uh, burnt out on pot. 
uh, freaking out in the blacklight shop and uh, women buying vibrators saying it was for a friend. Um, you know, drip candles, incense. I mean, there was a million things you could bust on. And that was my first stand-up act. Wow. And again, I won, I won that night as that competition as well. And that was the, the base, uh, the groundwork for my stand-up when I started stand-up in like 1981, 82, it was that Spencer Gifts chunk pieced with my ventriloquist act. Uh, that was my initial 40 minutes when I started this whole thing that wow. I've been doing ever since. And you've been, and it's funny because you said you wrote a 20-minute piece for a five-minute act. So then you yeah, have yeah. all of this material. Now, like I said earlier in the show, the first bit that we ever saw or first act was character witness um when did that start start to take shape and how long did you kind of write that material how long did you write that material well that was um that was something that in, in those days in uh, i guess it would be the early 2000s and late 90s everybody had all the comics had gotten away from um t-shirts and bumper stickers and the new thing to sell at their shows was, was CDs. So I, uh, I started recording my set. It wasn't something I specifically wrote to record. I just recorded my act. And, and, uh, so that was an ongoing process. And I just decided to wear a Sony, uh, mini disc player on my hip with a lavalier mic. And, um, I recorded myself. And uh, that was character witness. That was that was the that was the first CD. And um, uh, the material on on um, multiple character disorder is it? It's not a completely different album. It's just multiple character witness went national. It went international. Where character witness, you could just you could only get that by going to my show. Right. Where that, multiple character disorder. Uh, you know, you can get that all over the world. Now. Right. And there are some different bits. Like you have um, a bit about like the Pillsbury Doughboy in Character Disorder where you don't have that in Character Witness. But then there's stuff right. in Character Witness right. you don't have. So I guess around that time as you're growing, as you're writing, as you're, you know, you're recording yourself, which is an interesting story. When did you meet Zamfir? <laughs> Zamfir. You mean Master of the Pan Flute? Oh, Master of <laughs> um, the Pan Flute. <laughs> That was uh, back in the, I guess it would be the mid-90s. I did a bunch of shows with him in Ohio. He's a real person. And, uh, oh, dude, he's the master. Wow. There's nobody like Mind blown. Him. I thought you made up this character for eight, no, 14 man, years. That's a real guy. Look, if you go, wow. if you've seen, have you seen the movie Kill Bill? Oh, of course. I have. I never put it together, though. He's half the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, it's a real dude. You thought that was like a character I came up with? Yes. You did it so oh, well. Man, that, well. You know, that's a real guy. <laughs> He's under the bleachers, not the pan flute, not the pan flute. <laughs> oh, God. I don't want to play any fucking <laughs> 
I'm trying to back away I from promise, the mic so you yeah, can hear we, me Yeah, we have a mic that picks up everything, and I'm trying to laugh so hard, but not directly at it, because it's going to go crazy. <laughs> oh, I'm sweating. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> oh, okay, so actually, you can tell the story, because I thought he was made up and it was a joke question, but apparently he's real, so go ahead. No, dude, you know, in my earlier uh, uh, career, you know, when you're first starting, man, you just want to put food on the table, pay the bills, and, and, and work. You just want stage time. Any up-and-coming comic, they all ask, the first question they ask is, so, like, how how can I start? Like, all my friends, blah, 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 blah. It's all about stage time. So you take almost any single gig that is offered to you. And one of the first gigs I did, besides opening for Fog Hat with Puppets, oh, wow. is, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I opened for Fog Hat with a puppet. That's and awesome. Because, yeah, my, my, my stand-up wasn't fully developed yet, and um, uh, a promoter, they needed an opening act for Fog Hat in the Albany area, and... Uh, so I went with puppets, man, and the environment was very similar to the Blues Brothers, where they were performing behind the chicken wire, and all everybody was throwing like beer bottles at me. <laughs> and um, uh, but uh, uh, I wasn't behind chicken wire, but it was so hostile, man. Just picture like a twenty, early twenty-something dude with a puppet opening for Fog Hat in a rock bar, and I'm sitting here doing schools about what's your favorite subject. <laughs> and um, uh, I think I was seven minutes in when a Miller Lite bottle comes whizzing at my puppet's head. Oh my and it God. hit him directly in the lower lip. The bottom jaw dropped off of the puppet. Oh. And I was having such a crappy time. <laughs> After the bottom jaw uh, dropped off of the puppet, the entire crowd looked at me and you could hear like a sphincter pucker. And. Um, <laughs> They're, they're all looking at me like, all right, puppet boy, what are you going to say now? <laughs> so I just had uh, my puppet say, thank you, good night. And we walked off stage. After seven, seven minutes, we were supposed to do like 30 after seven minutes. I couldn't, I couldn't make him talk anymore. He was solid. <laughs> it's, it's funny. <laughs> but same thing, Zamfir, somebody yeah. thought it was a good idea for for a stand-up comic to open for a pan flouted and um there i was opening up for for zamfir still out there i don't know if he's torn anymore but dude you go on youtube there's a million videos of the guy he's truly the master <laughs> i i don't un- I, I have to go on youtube after this i have to yeah i don't understand how one becomes the master of the pan flute but Listen, it's a chosen profession. He's the only one that plays the pants. <laughs> there you go. We set him up for it. Some of the things that you um, threw out that the character witness uh, bit, character witness two is what we have specifically. But throughout that bit, there are still things today that we quote. Like when someone's annoying, I'm like, can we get a Quaalude daiquiri uh, for this person over here? Still quote that. <laughs> You know, I gotta come. I gotta. I gotta find a copy of that darn CD because I don't even know what's on that thing anymore. And it's funny, my cousin Mark, who's like literally, he's he's very gifted in the in the memory department. He'll will be driving around or whatever, and he'll go. Remember that bit you did about the 
And then I'm like, no, how did it go? <laughs> and he'll have to recite it to me for me to remember it. And even then, I don't remember. Now, I remember using the term quaalude daiquiri, but I never remember the context in which it was mentioned. It was in Character Witness 2, there's someone that laughs like Michael Jackson at like an incredibly high pitch the whole show, and it's really loud, and it kind of gets obnoxious, and about three-quarters of the way through, there's dead silence, and this person just starts laughing uncontrollably for no reason, and you just say, can we get a quaalude daiquiri for table seven? And it's just... <laughs> and it's, it gets me every time. I use it now, I, and any time that um, we go to like a water park, I just say, go. Go. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, go. <laughs> You're, you're I've active. added to that. I've added to that. I think since then, I don't know if that's in um, uh, multiple character disorder. I don't think that bits on that CD, but uh, I've added on that. Uh, it's such an old piece, but I needed to beef up uh, a lot of my stuff on the ships because mm-hmm. I have I do five different shows. So I brought some old fun stuff that wasn't dated, but was still funny, and that's one of the pieces I kind of brought back and it really embellished that you know, the kids can enjoy. Yeah. And we were going to talk a little bit about that later, but I'll just ask it now. You're a comedian. Yeah, on a, no, that's fine. You're on a cruise line. How did you even land that gig? Number one. And how cool is it to travel like that for a living? It's actually really cool. Uh, I, I love the job. Um, the part, you know, moving here to live and work and, you know, I have a career in Los Angeles, it kind of removes me from that world, which I'm trying to slowly get back to staying in LA a little more. But uh, the way it happened is I got burnt out. I I did a lot of audience warm up, which I'm sure we'll we'll get to eventually. But it's our next question. um, I was kind of getting burnt out on that. And uh, because I'd been doing it for quite a long time, and I wasn't booking voiceover. And uh, I just figure, you know, I, I'm not one to just sit around and wait. Um, so I asked my agent, hey, let's try this. And uh, literally, uh, he got me a gig within a week or two. Um, Carnival had uh, started a new um, uh, comedy club on every single one of their ships called the Punchliner Comedy Club. And it's in every one of their ships. It's on in their smaller lounges. We have a main theater that holds usually about 1,500. And then we have a smaller theater that usually holds anywhere from, I don't know, 250 to 400. And that's where the comedy club is. And uh, they had just started that month, ironically enough, when I asked my agent to, let's give this a try. And he got me a a gig on, on the ship for, I think, three cruises. And everybody was like, wow, where the hell have you been? This is wonderful. Uh, You're going to be here for a while. And that was eight years ago. And uh, I just got off a ship this morning in Long Beach, California. That was my 387th cruise this morning. Wow. Yeah. So you have no fear of the sea? You You don't get seasick? Nothing? No, never once. Uh, like I said, eight years, 387 cruises, never once, I got to say. I've been on a cruise once. <laughs> nope, not me. I lo- you, you don't like the... No. no. Oh, no, I've I just never been on a cruise. Oh, okay. Oh, man, I, I loved it. I went to the Bahamas when I was 15, loved every second of it, have been dying to go back. My wife's never been on a cruise, so we couldn't go on for our honeymoon. Uh, unfortunately, what, you know, when you look back at your act, what do you, you know, do you have a favorite bit that you prefer to do? 
that's in like every show? Uh, well, there's there's two things um, that are probably like my free bird that <laughs> if I don't do in my act, people get really upset um, and they will shout it as I'm walking off stage if I, I haven't done it. I can guarantee um, I know both of them. You probably do, and, and they both uh, come out of real-life experiences. One in Palmyra, New Jersey, and the other came from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, and that's my uh, Dunkin' Donuts yep. bit and my Chinese waiter guy. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Um, now before we get it, before we get into that, because that, they are two of my three favorite bits that you do. I also love the West Virginia bit. I think it's a, yeah. hilarious. You you actually incorporate like props and fake teeth and glasses and all that stuff into your act. Matter of fact, the first time we, I think the when we started crying in two thousand four when we saw you was when you turned around and were dressed as in the Chinese food bit. My goodness, yeah. how did you start to incorporate props in your act? Well, that, that started, like I said, when, when I started Puppet, I, you know, I always liked toys and stuff as, um, uh, uh, as a way of conveying and, and, and performing comedy. My first influence, my first concert that I ever attended in 1979 was Steve Martin. Mm. And uh, his one and only one year as a traveling comic was 7980 and I happened to see him on that tour that was my very first concert that I ever attended in my life and I've been to many but if you remember uh, you probably don't remember as before your time but I mean in those days you know he had balloon animals he had an arrow through his head he had fake nose uh, he juggled cats I mean um, he was that way and Robin Williams was an early influence he was very uh, fr- frantic and and just all over the place and loud clothes and suspenders and just voices and characters. And so the combination of those two guys were probably my two biggest influences in those days. And it was not straight guy walks into a bar type of comedy. I mean, I respect and I enjoy watching that uh, method of standup. Um, it's like Jerry Seinfeld said on, on, uh, on an interview once, you know, he loves watching prop guys because it's something he doesn't do. He doesn't something different. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't not respect it or respect it. He enjoys watching it because it's so not him, and he respects the fact that somebody's creating it in a different way. And uh, it's just I'm the same way. I love watching monologists, but um, I was always one that uh, enjoyed characters and and things and you know i got a lot of shit in the early days for doing ventriloquism and props and i eventually dropped the ventriloquism for for decades to be honest with you almost 20 years um but the props oh my god i always got shit in the 80s and 90s for it because uh, if you weren't a straight monologist you know you would get shit for it and Mm -hmm. my theory always was i needed to take that whatever off the shelf and turn it into something funny. It wasn't like you could just open a can of uh, fake plant and fake peanuts and it was uh, you know a worm that jumped out. Ha ah, ha! Look at that, it's funny. 
you had to incorporate it into a bit. I'm not saying it was harder or easier than monology, but it was, I felt it was still um, creating comedy. And that's, that has always been my bottom line. Are they laughing? Is it fun? Did they have a good time? Is it original? Is it yours? And let's move on. <laughs> now, we mentioned before that you're an audience, an audience warm-up artist. You've been on shows, America's Funniest Home Videos, Dancing with the Stars, American Idol. What's it like to warm up to like an audience like that that's there for a singing show rather than a comedy show? Well, um, that is, uh, that fell in, well, that, that's something that I, I started literally uh, maybe about a half year after I moved to L.A., I booked a, a couple of shows on TV. I did about four or five video games. And again, you know, this business, especially this town, bookings go in spurts. And sometimes you'll you'll go dry for a year or two without booking something. So you're always looking for the next thing or another thing, another way to make money. And um, a friend of mine uh, from Pittsburgh, uh, another stand-up comedian who I hugely admired, as a, as a writer and as a stand-up, um, he was Bill Maher's head writer. Mm -hmm. And uh, he called me and said, hey, how's things going? And I said, well, you know, it comes and goes it, it in spurts. I said, right now, I said, I, I, I had a little dry patch. He said, well, Bill Maher's looking for an audience warm-up guy. Would you like to give it a shot? And I said, I don't know what that is, <laughs> audience warm-up guy, but I would love to try it if it means staying off the road. So I went in and watched the guy that did it, that was wanting to relinquish the crown, and um, I tried it for about a week, and then he tried about seven or, or eight other guys, and then I got the call saying, okay, he's decided, uh, you're the guy if you want the job, and I said, yeah. So I did that for uh, the next two years, and then um, uh, I did the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn and America's Funniest Home Videos and Idol and... America's Got Talent, Dancing with the Stars, blah, 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 a ton of them. But uh, to answer your question, every show is different. Um, there's not much warming up you have to do to an American Idol crowd because they're rabidly crazy <laughs> and energetic already to be there. Where, you know, you'll get different energy from the Late Late Show or you know, uh, politically incorrect or whatever the show is. Um, it's different levels of excitement as they're walking in for different shows. So some shows are harder than others. And then on top of that, each show requires you to do different things during the commercial breaks. Um, on politically incorrect, I did stand up six commercial breaks of two to three minutes a piece. Um, Bill, his requirements were for me to do, you know, 10 to 20 minutes up front before we started. Then we started the show and he preferred me not have interaction with the audience after we started taping because that might encourage them to talk um, during the taping. So instead, I would just do little two to three minute stand up pieces every commercial break. Um, Late Late Show was all about you know, throwing out T-shirts and chocolate and where are you from and what do you do? That's what I learned doing audience warm-up, which really doubled my stand-up time. In other words, I had an hour of material and 
by doing so many audience warm-up shows, I learned the art of where you're from and what do you do. Mm -hmm. I, I never broke that wall when I did stand-up. I never, ever talked to anybody in the audience. I did my stuff because I always was one to not encourage somebody not to sit in front because they have the attitude, well, the comedian's going to pick on us. I hate that attitude from the general public. Sure, yeah. So I made sure I would never pick on anybody. I would just do my performance. But I learned that art form of where you're from, what do you do? And uh, it literally brought my one-hour show to two hours because... Hmm. Uh, you get confident in that skill. It's just like anything. It's like any skill that you have to practice to get better at. It literally opened the world for me as far as a performer goes. You could be placed in any situation and you can just fool around for 30 minutes if you have to. Mm -hmm. Now, you said you kind of mastered the art of throwing out chocolate and stuff. Was it the brown kind of chocolate? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I've been waiting on that for like a minute and a half. <laughs> when you said I throw out chocolate, I put up my finger to Sam, and I'm just waiting, just waiting. Uh, now you, you, the brown kind of chocolate, the brown one. You, you did say that you've done voice work in like a TV show's Invader Zim. You've done a Lego film. You've done a Transformers film. You did a Jack and Daxter's game. You did one of. Sam's favorite games of all time. One of my favorite games, Command and Conquer, Yuri's Revenge. Oh, yeah. That, well, uh, you, can, you can tell that is one game. That is actually the only game that I did. I'm a big gamer as well. Huge gamer. I have every platform. Um, and every game that I've acted in, I've either gotten them in the mail from the, you know, from the company that made them, Naughty Dog or whatever the case uh -oh. is, or uh, I've purchased them. And Command and Conquer is the only game that I've never heard my voice work in. You know, what was funny and was I was Command looking. Command and Conquer, Yuri's Revenge, I actually had a copy of it. On CD-ROM, yep, yep. if anybody remembers that. <laughs> Windows 95 um, and such. Yep. I still own it. But I could never get to my part. I never got far enough to see my characters. And apparently, you might know this, Sam, I, 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 in that game, there's a mini-game. There's an in-game that you play and you come across Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. So mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Faintly, I remember it. That's me. Both characters? I'm Arnold, and I'm Sylvester Stallone. And <laughs> Holy shit. Now I'm going to have to go back, beat the game just to get to that part. Because I couldn't figure out what voice you were. If you do, please, for the love of God, record it and get it to me. I will. I will. Yeah, Sam still owns the copy, so we can do that pretty easily. We'll, we'll make. And I'm a gamer myself, so we'll make this work. Damn it. <laughs> we yeah, will find this piece. Great. That's really, really. I've never even heard it. I, you know, and on most of the work, uh, most of the games that I've done, in fact, all of the games I've done, I remember what characters I played and my line. I don't even. I don't even in that game because I've never played it and never got to those characters. I don't even remember what I said or what I did as those characters. 
I, but I, I now have a new mission in life. In game uh, that you could you know get to. You know that's really cool because Sam and I were were texting this morning about the interview and we're going back and forth at questions to ask and questions to stay away from. And Sam's like, I gotta ask him who he was in Yuri's Revenge, and I said he might not remember. Don't worry about it. We got a lot of questions, <laughs> and that is so freaking yeah, cool that you've kn- that you remember that, even though it was two thousand one yeah. or two, whatever it was. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. What did you do? You actually know that they're making an Invader Zim made for TV movie? I was hoping you were attached. I do. I'm waiting for a phone call. It awesome. Hasn't rang yet, but uh, I'm crossing my fingers. So are we. I I never really got into Invader Zim, but every girl in high school had the patch on her school bag. So I, I mean, I watched it when I was yeah, younger because uh, it, Hot Topic sold every oh, yeah. Invader Zim. I remember a lot of people. I I remember that's where I got all my Invader Zim stuff. It, it was a short-lived show. It only went on for two seasons. It was a shame. Correct. It premiered the same night as Fairly Odd Parents, and Fairly Odd Parents mm. really took off. That premiered at eight to eight thirty, and Zim was on eight thirty to nine because it was definitely skewered towards an, an older demographic. Yeah, definitely. Um, and um, a couple of things, kind of, I, I think. As far as, if I remember correctly, a couple of things kind of derailed that whole show. And I think it's because the demographics were a little, it just was over a lot of people's heads. Yeah. And number two, um, I think I remember hearing some sort of story about uh, union, non-union. This one wanted to be in the union. This one didn't want to be in the union kind of thing. There was a couple of couple of uh, uh headbutts there with the nickelodeon and i i don't remember exactly but i remember hearing something about that but i don't know the exact reason i'm sure it came down bottom line was some sort of creativity disagreement sure yeah now people always tell me that i have a face for radio i believe them um I've always kind of been interested in dabbling into the the realm of voice work, and that's why we do a podcast. An audio podcast gives us a good chance to kind of keep those muscles flowing and that um, you know exercise that creativity. But I have no idea what it's like to be in a sound booth doing voices. What is that process? Can you describe what it's like to be in the booth doing voice work? Well, it's funny you should say that because um, my whole journey to Los Angeles started at the Club Casbah in mm. Wildwood, New Jersey, believe it or not. A dude from Philadelphia was had had relocated to Burbank, California. And, you know, everybody from Philly goes to Wildwood for a vacation. Including us. Yep. And and he had gone from Burbank back home to visit family on a fourth of July weekend and they all went to Wildwood. And they saw me at the Club Casbah, and he approached me and said, I have an agency in L.A., and we manage animation talent. We have directors and writers and producers, and we're looking to start a voiceover department. If you're interested, give me a call. Is that something you've ever considered? And I said, that is what I want to do with my life, period. And he said, well, give me a call. Be on the office on Tuesday. And when I called him on Tuesday, uh, he was sure enough in his office in Burbank. And uh, I said, hey, what? so let's do something. And he says, can you get out to L.A.? And I came out, I think, seven or eight times. And he set me up with Saban Entertainment and Nickelodeon and Klasky Chupo. And, and, I mean, everybody and anybody, Disney. 
and um, to see if I could make a living at uh, voiceover, animation voiceover. And everybody said, what are you waiting for? And that's what got me here is that that business card that was handed to me at the Club Casbah. But the actual work started very shortly after that. Now, uh, what would you... my home in upstate New York. Huh? No, no, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, in my uh, home in upstate New York, I was at a comedy club, and somebody that owned an advertising agency uh, said, hey, I need the voice, I need a voice of a teddy bear for a furniture store for a Christmas commercial. Would you be interested in this as something you could do? And I said, yeah, with my eyes closed. So I ended up doing that Christmas uh, teddy bear spot, which is still on my demo reel, and I ended up doing probably close to 150, maybe 200 commercials for that lady. And that was my, everything I did for her was the demo reel that I put together to come out to Los Angeles. Wow. And um, there's, there's nothing, as, besides live performance on a comedy stage, there's nothing more fun for a guy that does what I or we do is... Um, pretending behind a mic and the beauty behind voiceover is you don't have to shower you don't have to comb your hair you can come in your pajamas and you can make the and you you can literally have a face for radio and work until you're dead um and make millions of dollars no you know um the crazier you act in the booth the more fun the voices are going to sound. And a lot of people are so inhibited and afraid of acting like a fool. Uh, and that's what holds them back, really. That's what makes them uh, not as good as somebody else. Besides not showering, how does it differ from being on stage in front of the live audience? It, on stage in front of a live audience, you have to be presentable. You have to, you know whatever you look like, I guess, uh, these days people are a little less judgmental than they were when I started, but, um, you, there's no second takes. Yeah. There, there's you no do overs. You can't say, let me try that joke again. You've got to be polished and ready. And every joke's got to hit home every night. Now you can go to a club and on new, uh, material night or an open mic club, and try out your new five minutes there. But when you're performing a 45-minute set, that set's got to hit. And uh, with with voiceover, you know, when I did Transformers, my scenes in Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, I play the Doctor, which resurrects Megatron, and I also play all the appliances in the kitchen scene, which was actually an afterthought for Michael Bay. And um, those scenes, I think, maybe take a total of, I don't know, two minutes, three minutes maybe. And it took me six hours to do. Wow. You know what I mean? There was a lot of throat coat and a lemon herbal tea and honey and uh, screaming for six hours yeah. to get that two minutes of tape. Yeah, I was going to say, how long does can your like voice hold out before it just goes... Well, uh, that, I'll never forget that, uh, Transformers, and 
probably the Clutch Powers, the Adventures of Team Lego. That was a lot of screaming. I remember being asked constantly by the producers and directors and the sound booth guys that if I needed to take a break or needed <laughs> tea or whatever. Yeah. And I kept saying, no, this is what I do. This is my muscle. I exercise it every day. Um, I remember Transformers, though. I could feel it for about four or five days after recording. Damn. That took two, three-hour sessions, Transformers. It's, it, it gives you a whole kind of new lease and respect for you know voice actors. I mean, we have an, the utmost respect for guys like Billy West and John DiMaggio and Robert Paulson. And, you know, Sean Schimmel. Sean, Sean Schimmel. About people losing their voice. Uh, and, you know, I couldn't imagine kind of... Well, I guess I'll just ask it. Do you do you remember something that you know you nailed first time you didn't think you would, or maybe something that took a lot longer, but maybe was an easier line that you couldn't just quite get it right? I did a um, I did a commercial for a a product in Japan. It was their version of WD forty. It was a <laughs> lubricant for your car that cleaned the engine and lubricated it. And um, I'll never forget, it was almost like a scene out of Lost in Translation. Uh, there was, <laughs> there was, uh, there's, there's three, I think there was either three or four cartoon cars driving down a desert highway, getting really filthy and grimy. And they stumble across a giant billboard. And the billboard was a giant hand depressing the uh, spray can. And it, and it was actually spraying stuff out of the billboard spray can. And we stumble across this billboard, and we the cartoon cars kind of take a shower under the billboard, under the spray can. <laughs> and then we all continue our drive uh, uh, sparkling clean and, you know, everything's shiny and that kind of thing. And I'll never forget, there was about, I'm not lying, There's there was about 12 executives from Japan in in the on the other side of the glass in the recording studio. And there was one person, one female, that could speak English. The rest, I don't know why we needed 12, <laughs> but there, the, the rest were all execs that spoke nothing but Japanese. And I was the sexy Paul Newman car. So I was like the hot rod. And I, I don't remember the line. I really don't remember. I have, my, I have the commercial. I have a copy of it somewhere. But I remember the line. But let's say I, I, come, I, I come under the spray can and I say something like, Wow, this is really sparkly clean. Look at my tires. Um. Probably for about 16 minutes, uh, I would see the 12 executives talk amongst themselves. <laughs> and then the Japanese interpreter lady, she would open the mic and she goes, she would say, Ah, uh, okay, that is very good, but uh, could you do uh, more sexy? More sexy? Yeah. Yes, more sexy. Okay. Okay, more sexy. Yes, more sexy. <laughs> okay. So then I would go, Wow, this gets me really sparkly clean. And look at my tires. A 
about 60 minutes. I read it the same way for 60 minutes. And then finally, I read it probably the 30th time. Wow! Look, I'm sparkling clean and look at these tires. Yes, that was getting close to perfect. Perfect. Yes, perfect. Amazing. I'm like, I did it the same way I did it an hour ago. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh. But now, now to piggyback off that, did you really voice the Pillsbury Doughboy? Uh, I did some looping for it in New York. Yes, I did. <laughs> like, who didn't you play? Oh, my God. Because <laughs> in, in Multiple Character Disorder, it's um, it's actually track two. You say, it's really hard to mess my lineup. And you start to say, ooh, and you're like, again, what's the line? <laughs> Every story I tell comes from real life events. There is almost nothing I fabricate or sit down and go, I want to develop a bit about skydiving. Because, you know, so many comics and people, just regular people, friends and family, they comment on my Facebook and my Twitter and stuff. They say, dude, you never, like, are sitting still. And I'm like, because I'm living life so I can have experiences to talk about yeah. every single bit I bring on stage um, it's it's somebody I've met that I'm doing an impression of uh, some sort of something that happened to me that I might embellish just a hair I mean I, I came up with something just this past week on the ship I got on um, the ship on uh, deck five I pressed deck 10. I got on the elevator. I, I pressed deck 10. The elevator goes up one deck. The doors open on six. The lady says, are you going up to deck eight? And I said, no, I'm going up to deck 10. She turns to her husband and says, Mike, we're going to have to wait for the next one. <laughs> now, you can't tell me I can't talk about that on stage. That writes itself. That's a minute of comedy. It's real life stuff that everybody can relate to. We all have that aunt. And and um, that's my favorite kind of stuff. Yeah. So everything I do in my show is uh, stuff that has happened to me that I might embellish a tiny bit, but it's all based in fact. You've got to release multiple character disorder back in 2012 on iTunes. What's that feeling like to finally be able to get something digitally out to the masses as opposed to recording it on your hip, selling it at your shows? Now anybody in the world can just log on and download it. It's huge. It's it's really huge. Uh, uh, one of my favorite things these days is to have fans and, and people that I've met across the world really send me screen captures of when they hear me on Sirius XM on the comedy stations, which they play me quite often on 97 and 99, which is uh, Larry and uh, Jeff's comedy station and, and Raw Dog. And they play me quite often. Sirius XM comedy is awful good to me. And um, I've had a great run on there. And they, they my CD is pretty successful on, on those channels. And uh, people are always sending me 
you know, they'll be in their car and they'll snap a photo of my name and the track that's playing on their cars. And it, it comes from all over the globe. I mean, I've had it come from as far as people in New Zealand and Hawaii and uh, Polynesian. Uh, I mean, everywhere, England, uh, I've had people send it to me from Serbia and Croatia. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's a, it's a wonderful feeling. Truth be told. It's really great. And, Mm-hmm. What's that? I was, was going to say, truth be told, Sam and I recently looked at the top 10 countries that download our show, and the fourth is Sweden, and then Russia, and then Iran. And It's like, what? Yeah. What? You, these people, I didn't understand that we could have a reach like that, but people listen to us, and that's, I think that's a feeling that's irreplaceable. You know, it's like, who? I, I think it goes back to the old theory of, we do this because you never know who's listening. Well, it's that feel the dreams mentality. If you build it, they will come. And and my thing is, somebody out there is listening. Somebody out there is looking for something different and unique and and interesting to kill an hour or two of their time to forget whatever the heck they're going through. Uh, You know, you know, I have a couple podcasts that I subscribe to that um, I use on the. you know, on the ship when there's, I'm in the middle of the ocean and, and there's no Wi-Fi and there's no TV. And, uh, so it, it, it helps you get through the day mm-hmm. no matter what it is, you know, and there's guys all over the, the, the world, uh, in the armed forces, you know, and, and they're stationed in the middle of the desert. They need that stuff. So you're providing a service for somebody. That's, that's a damn good thing. I think. Now, we talked a little bit before you know, we started recording that you're an avid skateboarder. Obviously, Greg was like almost professional skater. I was a skater until I smashed my face. How <laughs> did you find that passion? Uh, I, started, um, I started in junior high school in upstate New York. Um, dude, I got a hold of my first skateboard at a Kmart. It's when the acrylic wheels, uh, the polyurethane wheels came out with it. And I had like an acrylic see-through blue deck made by Hobie, which is also, uh, uh, I mean, he was primarily a surfboard manufacturer here Mm -hmm. in California. But um, I got a hold of a skateboard magazine simultaneously, like the same year I got my first skateboard. And I just was drawn to it. And there was nobody else in my neighborhood that had one. Uh, I think there was one older kid that had, back in those days, it was called a banana board. It was really kind of curved. It almost looked like a Pringle. It was so curved. Mm -hmm. But it had awesome wheels, and it was really smooth to ride. And um, I was always building jumps and ramps and stuff as a kid to use on my bike. And I thought, oh, my God, this would be awesome if I could get enough speed to go off this thing on a skateboard. So I couldn't. So what I did was, I hooked up one of my water skiing ropes to the back of my friend's uh, Schwinn, and I had him pull me on my skateboard so I could get enough speed to go up a ramp. And it just it just went from there. And I skated a ton in, in junior high school and high school. And then, like, college, I, I would say from, like, college to hell, man, it, it was to L.A. I mean... When I moved here in 2000, I don't think I stepped foot on a skateboard. And then when I moved out here, it was like, holy crap, I'm finally home. Mm. I felt home when I moved here. I surf, I skate uh, as 
every day if I can. To well, be honest, the with you. the difference is you can skate in December and January, and we can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can. It's twenty four seven. Even even like 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 you said, even in December, January, February, I'm on the beach. <laughs> God bless you. We just have a couple more questions yeah. and we'll let you go. Um, it even kind of goes hand in hand with healthy, with, uh, being a skateboarder. You're a healthy eater. Um, I just, I just don't get it. I've tried. <laughs> I've failed. <laughs> I don't get it. Wow. It's tough for him. It's tough for me. Um, I look at a bowl of vegetables or a plate of vegetables and then I go order a pizza steak because it has tomatoes in it. So, uh, I've, I've seen all your stuff on Instagram. You do a lot of breakfast photos, which makes me hungry early in the morning. Um, I've tried. I've failed. How do you keep so disciplined uh, with your diet? Especially on the road. Especially on the road. Good call. Well, somebody uh, um, somebody asked me, how do you keep it off working on a cruise ship? And and I and I put... And, and this, this you can apply this to no matter where you work, uh, whether it be an office building or a factory or whatever. But my simple answer, my short answer is the salad bar and the stairs are always empty. <laughs> Meaning, good point. I, I didn't think of it like, like that. Freaking turkey legs and the meatloaf and the mashed potatoes. That's got a line about a hundred deep. There's about forty people waiting for the elevator, but the stairs—they're not a person on it, and there's nobody in line for salad. And so that's where I am. That's where you'll find me. About 2012, I had uh, a wake-up call, man. I, I had a couple people in my family that you know kind of were uh, struggling, and. Um, I was also simultaneously going through a thing of doing a little research on how we process food in this country, and um, they kind of went hand in hand. So in 2012, uh, this guy came up to me and said, um, kind of made uh, kind of a blatant, no-holes-barred statement about, you know, how I looked physically. And it really hurt my feelings. And uh, I can remember when I came home from that trip, I joined a gym, I hired a trainer, and I became a vegetarian. Oh, wow. And uh, I lost uh, 52 pounds. And uh, I've, I'm still that weight, uh, give or take seven to nine pounds. I go up and down depending on if it's a holiday or uh, whatever the case is. But the deal is, it's just like alcohol, tobacco, any type of narcotics or whatever, man. You've got to want to quit and you got to want to keep with it. You know, so many of my friends, you know, in the, in this industry are struggling with alcohol or drug abuse and they all carry around that chip, man. There's no chip for eaters, you know, overeaters anonymous, but there should be because it's very similar. It's a similar disease. It's an addiction. Now, I'm not saying, I had that addiction, but I had lost sight of how you should take care of yourself. And everybody asked me, how do you, like, what diet are you, you're not on a diet. You just got to learn how to do what you were taught in kindergarten. Eat properly and exercise. If you don't do them both, you're not going to control your weight, period. There's no discussion. 
You have to move. You have to have aerobic exercise every day, at least 20 minutes. And you have to tell yourself no when it comes to the shit that you love to eat. I used to sit on the road, man, in a hotel room and eat a whole pizza, and then just tears would go down my face. What am I doing? (laughs) But um, psychologically, if you're craving a piece of cheesecake or a brownie or whatever the hell the case may be, if you take one, maybe two bites, your brain is now satisfied but the rest of your body is telling you, I can't not finish the rest of that cheesecake. <laughs> yep, yep. So if you want a Snickers bar, fine. Take a bite or two. Put the rest aside for three days from now. But nobody does that, and that's the problem. So it's all willpower. Yeah. It's just like, you know, quitting smoking is the thing I can relate to the most because I have the most friends that, you know, are always trying to quit. You got to want to do it. Nobody's going to help you. Nobody's going to tell you to do it. Nobody's going to do it for you. You got to be ready. And I was ready. I was just ready. I literally came home. I woke up and I said, "All right, I'm going to join the gym." Mind over matter. Down the street. Damn. Yeah, man. It's it's all psychological. And if you don't have the willpower, if you don't have it in you, but the key, I think, in the very beginning was hiring a trainer because the first day I joined the gym. The second day I went back, which was the next day, a guy came up to me from the gym, as they do, and he tried to talk me into a multi-hundred-dollar program with a trainer. And I said, look, I'm not going to sign up for anything I don't, I can't afford, but I clearly need help, so let's work on getting the help. And that was the beginning, beginning of it all. It was, it was, hey, I need somebody to kick me in the ass and say, put the fork down and pick up this dumbbell. <laughs> you know, it's that simple. Yeah, I pre- that's inspirational. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, and it's all simple shit, man. It's, yeah. it's fruits, vegetables, lay off the carbs. Sodas are, are the antichrist. Um, <laughs> don't, eat, don't drink anything carbonated. Quadruple your water intake. That's a huge start right there. Boom. That's a huge start. All things are doable, too. All doable things. Yeah, man. The hardest part would be the carbs, but all doable. Yeah, and as an Italian, you know, bread and pasta and cakes and pies and all that shit, that's in my blood. We love it. That's so. Yeah, so after every holiday, I have to fast for 30 days with bread and pasta because that's how I I pound it on. Right. Sam's a very physically fit... Yeah, he, Sam's a very physically fit individual. I used to be back in the day. Um, I'm around 245 now, so I'm not like crazy overweight. But I mean, I'm crazy overweight, but not. <laughs> I'm not like, morbidly obese or anything. But it's definitely tough because you know, I, like you said, I work in an office building, and I I took the easy way out for four years, five years, instead of committing to something else. So now it's about waking up and making that commitment to yourself. And I think it's easy for a day, it's easy for a week, but you got to keep going at it. That's the hard part is consistency. You just got to keep what John said on repeat, and then you're good. I'm just going to listen to this episode every day. That's I think. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is the key. It's, 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 like I said, the way I started uh, talking about this subject, it's like an alcoholic. It's too bad that we can't have a chip because it's a daily choice. It's, it's every day you've got to think of what you're putting on in your body. I read every label. I, I, 
I, I've changed everything. You know, I used to put white sugar in my uh, coffee. I, I went to either raw or nothing. If mm-hmm. they don't have raw, I don't put anything. Mm-hmm. And some days, if I had raw yesterday, I'll go without any sugar tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's it's literally a daily conscious choice. You have to monitor everything that goes in your body. Now, to change topics, we are a nerdy podcast. We specialize in music, movies, TV, uh, gaming, and I didn't know you were a big gamer like you said before, so I just have here film and TV, but I'm going to throw games in there. Give us some suggestions. Give the listeners something to listen to, watch, play, whatever. What are some films, TVs, and video games that you could recommend to us? Wow. Well, my latest addiction uh, on on gaming Got a war. console, I, I've been addicted to Overwatch. Oh, okay. Oh, I've been an Overwatch since the day that game come out. I adore and love it. Who, it for who's your Who's your main? My main is Farah. Ah, and, uh, Farrah. All right. I'm a I'm a Soldier seventy six guy myself. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm Farah and Junkrat is my second, and then probably Eve is my third. But my latest thing, I would say since Easter, my sons got me onto Fortnite. I've been playing a uh, lot of Fortnite. Why don't you stream on Twitch? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that would be interesting to anybody. You think it would be? Yeah. I, th- I think it would totally be. Interesting. Hold on, hold on. Let's just put this into perspective. The most popular game on the internet right now, with one of the funniest people in the world and a stand-up comedian. I know you got a busy travel schedule, but that is a combination for yes. success, my friend. Yes. Wow. Okay, I'll take that into consideration. Now, do you often play single-player games? You mostly stick with the multiplayer. Um, because of my schedule, it's almost always single player. I love story mode in anything. Like I have all the Call of Duties and I'm one of the few guys that I will play the story mode before even, uh, before I even click on multiplayer. I'm the same exact way. We're both, we're both the exact same way. Yeah, I love story mode in anything I play. I love, I hate the fact that Overwatch doesn't have a story mode. Agree. Yeah. Any chance? You... I was a. I'm a huge Blizzard fan, and I was a World of uh, Warcraft yeah. addict. I mm-hmm. love everything about Blizzard. The way they update their content and um, their con. I love their animators. I love the way they they design every game they've made, and um, I think they would uh, have a kick-ass uh, story mode, single-player, you know, mode. But um, it is what it is. Any chance you picked up the new God of War that just came out like two weeks ago? Uh, I don't have. That's the only platform I don't have. That's exclusive on Sony Four, right? Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. That's on the PlayStation Four exclusively. Sam's my yeah, heart. I, 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 I'll, I will have one of those uh, within a month or two. I, I'm sure I'll pick it up somewhere. Yeah, definitely pick up the God of War series. It, it is amazing. Un, this, this new one, especially, it's a, it's story only. There is no multiplayer. It's, it's changing the game. Right now, especially on how stories are told through video games, it's really good. Uh, do you have a Switch? No, no, that I don't. Uh, for I someone don't play who tra- any of the handheld things either. For somebody who travels, I, I would have thought it would have been perfect for yeah, you. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. It, it would be nice to have on the road. That's for that's for sure. So, what about uh, film and TV? Film and TV these days, um, you know, dude, my my. My tastes are all over the map. Sure. I, I, there's so many different things. And now my my latest thing these days, because I'm traveling so much, is um, 
Netflix and and I think Amazon Prime or maybe even Hulu, but they're making downloadable content for your tablets yep. now. And I'm always on a plane or away. And um, I mean, there's so much content out there. It's just, it's, it's crazy. You can't even count how many things are there. Like once you think you've discovered the new series, somebody will say, Oh, I've been watching that for months. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, you know, uh, I'm a big Netflix guy. I love there's so much original programming on that. Um, and the, what, what's cool about this past year was I was on the Screen Actors Guild uh, nominating committee. So I went to a lot of uh, private events for during the you know award season for the Screen Actors Guild Award. So I got to go to like Handmaid's Tale and Glow and mm-hmm. a Genius on the National Geographic Channel yeah. and uh, Stranger Things and Lemony Snickets. I went to a lot of these different events and got to meet a lot of these people. And, you know, I got exclusive content and all that kind of stuff. Any shows you'd recommend or that you're watching now on Netflix? Uh, uh, dude, I just finished uh, Lost in Space. Ah, so did I. Phenomenal. Yeah, so, so did I. I really enjoyed it. Phenomenal. A yeah. lot of Easter eggs if you ever watch the original show. A ton of Easter eggs, actually. Um, uh, Friends from College is a great show. Dave Letterman's new show was yep, fantastic. Yep. My next That's guest. Good. Um, I'm watching Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. My wife's great, obsessed with great it. Show. She's obsessed with it. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. A little um, dark for me. A little, little dark. Uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Black Mirror was great. A little dark for me. Black Mirror. <laughs> a little fantastic. dark. Did you ever watch Peaky Blinders? Yeah. What's that? Ever watch Peaky Blinders? No. What's that one? Check. That's on Netflix. That's with a Killian Murphy. It's based in and, like and Tom Hardy. Yeah, Tom Hardy's in a little bit, but it's based in like the nineteen. I think it was like nineteen oh two. I think. Um, it's basically like they're almost like a, a gang type of deal. They kind of run in Ireland. Yeah. in Ireland. They're like an Irish gang that kind of runs the town, and it's it's really fascinating. Sam likes to watch it with subtitles though, because it's very heavy in the accent. Yes, but it's very good. Oh, okay. I'm a big. I gotcha. You said glow earlier. Glow is we every episode. Sam and I do a top three. We list something. Top three foods. Top three movies of the year. Whatever the case may be. And around the turn of the year, we usually do top three TV shows, video games, movies, and albums that we heard, watched, whatever that year. Glow is my number one. uh, No, my number two favorite uh, show of 2017. I'm so hyped for season two. It's coming out. I think next month. Um, June, mm-hmm. June yes, 10th or 29th. They, they had a bunch of uh, events here in L.A. Uh, just this past week, so that means they're probably going to release it very soon. Yeah, sometime in the next month. And then my number one was Red Oaks, a show on Amazon Prime. Have you ever heard of that? No. Comedy show. Kid, he's an assistant tennis pro in like the Cherry Hill, New Jersey, 1970s, early 80s. It's so good. It's only three seasons. It's 26 episodes. They're only a half hour, so it's ultimately bingeable. Uh, and it, it for a comedy show that tells a really engrossing story, I always say it ends exactly how you want it to. It doesn't leave you wanting more. It's a very satisfying ending. So I definitely recommend Red Oaks on Amazon Prime. Cool. And we better get cool, a season cool. two in Lost in Space or I'm yeah, going to be man, upset. Yeah, there's, there's my, my, my tastes are all over the place. It yeah. depends what kind of mood. I like a selection. If I'm in a, a dark mood, then I'll go with something a little, uh, uh, you know, crazier. But, um, 
Santa Clarita Diet is funny. Just got renewed for season uh, three. I still got to watch that. Y- yep, Jessica Jones is a great series. Better Call yep. Saul, I yep. download that a lot. Uh, Joel McHale pretty much has oh, the yeah, same yeah, show yeah. that Talk Soup used to be. Yep. It's fun to watch. Uh, yeah, so I'm all over the map, man. That's the cool part about having a podcast in this medium is Sam and I, ha- we, we watch all of that because yeah. we, we want to be yeah. well-versed, you know, except for the sure, dark stuff. Sure, I don't <laughs> I do not do the Black Mirror or the or the Handmaid's Tale anymore. I watch the first four. Then there's a girl in a truck. She gets taken out of the truck and something happens with a rope and I'm over it. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm going to watch wrestling. I'm going to watch wrestling and play Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> In the guest room. You have this. Have a great night. Um, but Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> John, anything else you want to add before we before we get out of here? Thank you for taking a little bit more time than expected, too, by the way. Oh, dude, this is fun. This is fun. No problem. No problem at all. Just uh, follow me, friend me, uh, send me. Uh, what do I got? I got my Facebook and my Twitter is my name. Uh, Johnny B one six three on Instagram. I'm Laughing Zebra on Snapchat. L A F F I N G Zebra. Um, then I'm building my website. My old website is kind of defunct, so I'm restructuring. I'll have a new website um, up very shortly. To and I'm I plan on uh, posting a lot of uh, videos and audio clips from voice stuff that i've done in the past that's why i asked sam if you if, if you've ever come across that scene where uh in command and conquer i would love to utilize it somehow i'm on the hunt <laughs> we will make yeah, we will make great. that happen no we we bet that so but john thank you so much for taking the time hang on the line uh for just one second but that has been the very special bonus episode with stand-up comedian voice actor world traveler whatever you want to call him john DeCosta. uh we will see you this weekend for episode 91 and that was john DeCosta, the rest comedian in the world <laughs>